Thank you for watching this message from the Bridge Church. Our mission here is to be a church for Christ, for community, and for the city. You're watching a message from our series called Messy Church. We're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And if this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know by emailing us at storiesatthebridgeilm.com. Thank you for watching, and God bless you. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Welcome to uh, The Bridge. My name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I know what you are thinking. Ethan takes about 10 minutes for every verse, and there are 25 verses. Do the math, we'll be here for four hours. <laughs> there are some churches that do that, by the way, you know, so um, just be grateful. Um, so good to see you here. If you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and grab it and open it and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians, which is in the New Testament. It's about halfway through it's, uh, Paul's letters, his first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, find yourself there. We're going to be in chapter 14 today. And um, so go ahead and thumb through your Bible, find that. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll put the verses on the screens for you. And then as well, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to be able to give you one today for free. You can stop by the resource area on your way out and grab a Bible completely for free. So um, before I jump in today, I just want to share something really cool and encouraging and exciting with you. Um, we are really good friends, have a good relationship with Snipes Academy. If you're not familiar with Snipes, Snipes is literally a public elementary school that backs up to our property on this side. We share the same fence. And in, in God's providence, when we first uh, started the bridge, we were able to develop a relationship with, with the administration there, and it is just really, really unprecedented. They send us emails and texts and messages all the time about stuff that's happening, sending pictures of volunteers, and it's just, it's just really cool. Snipes is, um, uh, for years, it was the least performing elementary school in all of New Hanover County. Um, as well, 100% of the student bodies on free and reduced lunch which means almost 500 kids that are a part of the uh, school live under the poverty line. And so they don't have um, an, a PTA, and there's a lot of things that, that are lacking. And so we just told them a couple years ago, hey, we'll, we'll be your PTA. We'll help as much as we can. And so we send volunteers all the time. So here's, here's the thing. This week, they just moved to year-round school, which means Tuesday was their first day of classes. And um, Monday, um, we took a bunch of people over there to try to, to help out and to help the teachers and stuff get ready for the new year. And I went over there. And there was literally about 25 people or so walking the halls of Snipes, helping out with classes and stuff, which is just un unbelievable. And so I just wanted to celebrate that with you, encourage you. I think we should uh, uh, thank God for what he's doing there and um, just really cool. I, um, I personally, I get to mentor a, a boy. I, I've met for about, um, for the last two years now, I've mentored um, a boy in, he, he was in third grade, and I was with him, and then fourth grade, and then fifth grade, and I show up uh, every, usually uh, this year, I think it's going to be every Tuesday, and we do lunch together, and then recess together, and so it's just really, really, uh, really cool opportunity. I wanted to share that with you. Well, um, today we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, right in the middle of an intense section where Paul has been discussing the things of the Spirit, uh, meaning the Holy Spirit, and we've been covering all sorts of fun stuff, like uh, prophecies, and tongues, and healings, and miraculous powers, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits, and interpretation of tongues, and all sorts of stuff. And as we'll see today, uh, there is a lot of confusion in this Corinthian church and a lot of abuses when it comes uh, specifically to these things because they are a new church that is significantly immature and needed to be instructed and exhorted and sometimes kicked in the pants to help them understand how to operate and to practice these types of things. And so what happened in their church was 
whenever they would show up for a worship gathering, whenever they came together for corporate worship gatherings, which is what we like to call these, these aren't services that we're offering. This is the gathering of God's people. It's a worship gathering. And so when they would come together, it kind of turned into something like America's Got Talent. It is really bizarre. I mean, it's just really bizarre. They're showing up to the worship gathering and it's like a competition. Who's got this talent? Who's got that talent? Who's got this spiritual gift? Who's got this spiritual gift? And it was just utterly just is chaotic that, that that was happening. And so I don't know what your experience is or what your background is. I know that all of us come from all sorts of different uh, environments, backgrounds, churches. If, if you grew up in church, um, there's typically two categories of churches, uh, churches that raise their hands during worship and churches that don't, <laughs> don't raise their hands. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you were a part of a church that you kind of raised your hands during the music and stuff? Let me see. Were you a part of a church kind of like that? All right. And then how many of you, you weren't part of a church, raise your hand that raised their hands during church? Okay. Well, congratulations. There you go. I'm trying to help you out and, you know, take that, take that first. You can say you raised your hand at church today. So just trying to, just trying to help you out. So if you're not familiar with, um, with raising your hands, I thought I would try to help you out. So there's a lot of different levels of raising your hands in church, a lot of different motions and movements that someone may do sitting beside you, and so I don't want you to be completely scared when that happens. I want to try to help you out. So here's, here's, here's how you start. If you're, if you're new, you know, your hands in the pocket is okay, and then you, you, flop, you just flap the elbows. You kind of get the... You kind of get kind of get the energy going a little bit. You got to get a little bit comfortable, right? And then if you're comfortable with that, then you go to carry the TV. You just carry the TV just right here. Then maybe you can go big screen, big screen, carry the TV right here, you know. Uh, and then you know if you really want to get crazy, you do. Uh, my fish is this big. Yeah, my fish is this big. Thank you. Just throw in a thank you Jesus every now and then, you know, because that's real spirit. And then um, you can go to, here's my baby. Hold my baby. Hold my baby. <laughs> Or also known as Mufasa, you can call it that if you'd like, but hold, hold my baby. Uh, then if you want to progress from that, you can do the dueling light bulbs, dueling light bulbs. Turn the light bulbs right here. And then you can go to goalpost, goalpost, all right? Goalpost right here. And every now and then get a little heartburn, you know, right here. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe both sides, a little heartburn. Thank, thank you, Jesus. And then, uh, then you can do uh, the one-handed schoolroom, you know, because you have a question. Got a question? Schoolroom or the torch. Uh, hold, hold, the, hold the torch right here, or if you get really creative, washing the window. Washing. And the good thing about these is that you can do them with two hands. So schoolroom, hold the torch, wash the window right there like that. And then if you just really want to go all for it, touchdown right there. Touchdown. Thank you, Jesus. All right, hopefully that helps you out a little bit, you know, trying to figure out what... Uh, what um, and I know that some of you are just like royally freaked out. I mean, maybe you're new, maybe this is your first time. You heard the scripture, what in the world are they going to talk about today? So I know that you're freaked out. I know that you're weirded out. I promise you we are not going to get crazy in here. <laughs> I, I promise, you, promise you that. Well, um, what I want to encourage you is that, um, that this even applies to uh, many of us where we are sometimes uh, uninstructed, uninformed, maybe a little bit immature as a church about what it looks like to be a church of the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit, God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, where God the Spirit decides to move and to show up in your life, in my life, when we gather here together. And here, here's what I want to in, encourage you on today. Maybe, maybe you're not a spiritual person, maybe you're not religious, maybe you're secular, maybe you're a naturalist, uh, maybe you're here with a friend or a family member. Here's what I want to encourage us um, all today. All of us are unbelievably spiritual beings. So it's pretty easy to make the case that we are physical beings. I mean, unless you're just smoking something. I mean, all of us, it's pretty easy to say we are physical beings. 
But I would argue that just as much as you are a physical being, you are just as much a spiritual being. That what you can see is only the half of who you are as a person. That there is a part of you that is unbelievably and incredibly non-physical, transcendent, and unworldly. And so what has happened over the past few centuries, specifically in the West, is that through modernity and the Enlightenment, is that we have essentially come to a point where we have explained away all things spiritual and supernatural and have just boiled everything down to natural laws and physics. But regardless of who you are today and regardless of where you land on the spectrum of a religious or not religious, it is really, really hard to dismiss that there is an immaterial, spiritual, transcendent reality that exists in the world. And that's why we have actually seen such a resurgence, I believe, in the last couple decades in America when it comes to things that are spiritual. So the last two decades in America has really been kind of a recovery of spirituality, in fact, if you read the studies and the reports about religion, and which, which I do on a regular basis, and, and what's growing and what's not growing, the largest growing uh, religious group or the group within religious groups in America that is growing is what's called the nuns. That does not mean Catholic nuns. I don't think that they are growing very fastly, but uh, it's nuns, N-O-N, and that wasn't, I'm sorry, some of you have a Catholic background. I'm sorry, that was below the belt. I apologize for that. It's the nun, N-O-N-E, the nuns, which means they have no religious affiliation or institutional affiliation, but they still maintain a level of spirituality. And so what we've seen is this group is just skyrocketing over the last couple decades in America because even though they may be done with institutional religion, they are still longing for a spirituality in their life. And so what I would want to encourage all of us in today is that you are a highly complex spiritual being. And what we're talking about today is one of the ways that we see as Christians the way that we engage with God in our spirituality. And God just isn't someone to be educated about. He is someone to be experienced. He is someone to know, to feel, to enjoy, to have him move in your life. And we have to be really careful as 21st century Americans that we just don't show up to church and approach God like he's something that we should learn about, but that he's something that we should experience. And so one of the things that I just... I want to encourage you, and a few weeks ago, I kind of um, dropped a hammer on you about you know, things that we need to grow in as a church of the Spirit, but um, to encourage you, the last few weeks, um, and I believe the Holy Spirit has been moving and powerful in our church for, for a couple years now, since our, our birth, uh, but specifically the last couple weeks, I've had multiple conversations with people, either guests or out of town, uh, people that were here with a friend or a family member, literally, and they have conversations, say, say, Ethan, I walked through the doors and I only made it two steps and I just felt something different, like the Spirit of God was here. Amen. And a couple of people like, I just started crying when I walked through the doors. <laughs> I, that, just doesn't, that just doesn't make sense. That's the presence and the power of God in this place. And that doesn't happen all, all over the world. That doesn't happen in every church. And for whatever reason, God has decided for his presence and his power to be here and to move in and through us. And so what we do, though I have theology degrees and though I want to educate you as much as possible on the scriptures and what it means to be a Christian, I want you to experience who God is in your life. I want you to feel him. I want you to experience him in your own life. And so that's what Paul is addressing here today. I'm going to begin in chapter 14 in verse 1. So if you're there, I want you to look with me. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 1. This is what he says. 
Pursue love. Everybody say love. Love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, the first thing that he says is to pursue love. If you were here last week, all of uh, last week, the chapter 13 was on love, where Paul spent the entirety of the chapter trying to reorient our hearts as Christians that the primary thing that we need to be about, the primary fascination of the Christian's life should be love. Loving people, exercising love, being someone of love, that we should pursue love as Christians. And then in addition to that, Paul says, now that you have a foundation of love in your life between your brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, I pointed this out a couple of weeks ago in the beginning of chapter 12 because he uses the exact same phrase relating to spiritual gifts. Now, what's interesting about the original language here, the Greek here in the Greek New Testament, is that the word gifts isn't actually there. It doesn't say spiritual gifts. It uses the word pneumatikos, which pneuma is the word for spirit. Pneumatikos is kind of like a plural word for the things of the spirit. And so it can be translated the spirituals the things of the Spirit, the people of the Spirit. And we just don't have a good English equivalent to the word. And so this isn't like I'm trying to slam the translators. They're way smarter than I am. But they tried to help us understand what he's talking about. And so they throw in gifts there, spiritual gifts. What he's saying, what he's addressing here is the things of the Spirit. I don't want us to hear the word spiritual gifts, read the word spiritual gifts, and be like, okay, let me get out my test, let me get out my inventory, let me get out my pencil and start checking off boxes and to see which gift I have. That's not exactly what he's trying to get us to do. He's trying to get us to understand the pneumaticos, the things of the Spirit, the works of the Spirit. The New Testament translates it in all sorts of different ways, the blessings of the Spirit, the teachings of the Spirit, the people of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. He's trying to say, now I want you to earnestly desire the things of the Spirit. I want you to earnestly desire the pneumaticos, the, the manifestations, the ways in which God would make his power and his presence known in your life. And Paul tells us that we should earnestly desire that, should earnestly desire it. Now, when I think of this, I, I think of a story uh, just a couple years ago. Uh, I'm a big water fan. I love the water. I love boats. I love fishing. Um, if I could figure out a way to do that every day, I would. I, I just love it. When I first moved here a couple years ago, one of my pastor friends invited me to go out on his boat. And of course, I said yes, and I can bill it as ministry since I'm with another pastor, you know? So hey, this is, this is a great scenario. So we, we go out on his boat. It's it's a pretty cool boat. Um, it's way cooler than mine because I don't have one. And so I was really excited. <laughs> about being on his boat. We're going to go fishing for the day. We've got all the gear. We've got all the rod and reels. We've got the bait. We've got the ice. We are just ready to go. And we're heading out on the intercoastal waterway. We make a turn to head through the channel, the inlet, to head out into the ocean. And the thing just stops <laughs> right in the middle. It just cuts off. I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> and literally for a few minutes, if you've ever been in that scenario, it's a pretty hopeless scenario. And you're praying, even if you're not spiritual, you're praying, you're trying to figure out a way for this. And it just, just will not crank. We end up having to call somebody to come and to tow us all the way back to the landing. And it was the miserable, the worst two hour fishing trip of my life. Um, now here's, here's what's interesting about the story. It doesn't matter how flashy the boat was in that moment. <laughs> doesn't matter how cool it was, it doesn't matter how long it was, it doesn't matter how many horsepower it had, any of that stuff, in that moment, it had no engine. And it doesn't matter what it looks like, it doesn't matter how big it is, how much it costs, what the name is, if it doesn't have an engine, it doesn't have the power to actually to get you where you want to go. 
And I think the way that Paul wants us to understand our lives is that there is an engine that is in you if you are a believer, which is the Holy Spirit, which is moving you and propelling you and working in you for God's purposes on the earth. And if we are people who don't understand and recognize the way that God would want to work in and through our lives, and we're essentially powerless as people. And we have to make sure that we are diligent, as Paul says, earnestly desire the pneumaticos, the things of the Spirit in your life. Some of you may be asking the question, well, how do you get the Spirit in your life? The story of the Bible, the story of Christianity is this. I'll sum it, to you, sum it up to you briefly. You are an individual, a person who is living your own life in your own way as a spiritual being, but is yet absent of God's presence in your life. We, all of us, essentially living our own lives, being the God of our own lives. Yeah, we do a good thing here. We do a good thing here. We show up to church. We show up to church. But at the end of the day, are absent of the God factor, God's power in our lives. What happened is that Jesus came and entered human history to take on our sin and shame to forgive us of the brokenness and the corruption and the depravity that reigned in our hearts, took it on himself in the cross, then took it to the grave, then resurrected from the grave to set us free from sin and shame and pain and sin. And in so doing, then allowed us to be people of the spirit, which now God's spirit resides in us. And we are now Christians. We are now we are the people of the Spirit. And what's, what we've got to be really careful about is that in the South, in the Bible Belt, that we aren't producing Christians that don't have an engine. That we aren't producing people that are completely absent of God's Spirit in their lives. You can be a member of a Baptist church for 25 years and not be a Christian. You can show up to church every Sunday and not be a Christian. The difference is the Holy Spirit in your life, which through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, comes and enters your life and changes you, changes your outlook, changes your attitude, changes your perspective, changes the things that you do, and now you are a person of the Spirit. And Paul says to every one of us, no matter if you grew up Presbyterian or if you grew up Pentecostal, he says, for every one of us to earnestly desire the pneumaticos, the things of the Spirit. And then, in addition to that, he adds one more layer to it, a kind of an interesting layer. He says, not only should you earnestly desire the pneumaticos, you should, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read uh, the word prophesy, um, I immediately think about the guy who's got the huge end times chart uh, hanging up in his bedroom and tries to tell everybody when Jesus is coming back. Um, or the guy that drives the van with the flames on the side. You ever seen that guy? And with the words written, Holy Ghost or Anointed, Revival, Dominion, Rain, Fire, Shekinah, Glory, you know, and typically wears a Kara's mullet. If you're not exactly sure what that is, it's uh, a mullet and charismatic mixed together which I love mullets, by the way, and I asked my wife this morning, could I grow out a Kara's mullet one day? And she said no. So unfortunately, I can't do it. But when I hear the word, I immediately, my mind starts going like, okay, we just went into wacky world. Like, what is going on here? Here, I'm going to help you out. Here's how Wayne Grudem defines it, which I think is really helpful. He says this. This is prophecy, telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. 
telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. What that means is that prophecy isn't primarily trying to predict the future or primarily trying to tell someone who they're going to marry or not going to marry. Prophecy is just speaking something in a situation which God has brought to mind. And I'll say this as well. Um, some people are really freaked out of prophecy because they think like uh, it's now that's higher than God's word. Prophecy is not revelation in the same sense that Scripture is. Paul actually tells us in multiple places that we should test prophecies. That means if someone prophesies over you or maybe has a word for you, that you should test that. That's why he also gives us the discerning of spirits. Someone somehow the ability to be able to distinguish. Uh, if something is from God, so it's not on the same level. I love what John Piper says. He says this about it. Prophecy is not speaking on behalf of God in such a way that it's authoritative and infallibility of Scripture. Prophecy is rather a spontaneous thought that God brings to mind that should be spoken into a moment and a situation. And I think that this happens probably more often than not, and we don't even realize it. I think it happens in sometimes subtle ways where maybe you're in a situation, maybe you're at community group, maybe you're with a friend, maybe you're with a brother, maybe you came here early, staying late, having a conversation with someone, and you kind of sense, man, I should say something. I feel like this is something I should say to them in this moment right now. That potentially could be a prophetic word. It could be a, an utterance of wisdom, an utterance of knowledge, as he references it in chapter 12. It could be more dramatic than that. It could be someone is really struggling, working, trying to figure out what God has for them, the decision that they should make, and they're in the word, and God gives them a, a verse. And I've heard this. Um, someone else comes and meets them that day, and God gives them a verse for that person and says, hey, this is the verse for you. And they say, no way, that's the verse that God gave me this morning. It can be much more dramatic. You may have heard me tell the story of uh, a few weeks ago where Charles Spurgeon, he's a British theologian and pastor, I believe, in the 19th century in London, and he would be preaching, and God would give him a prophetic word of someone in the congregation and what their scenario would be, and he would call them out from the stage, whether good or bad, for their situation. It's, it's just something that God chooses that somebody needs to hear from God in the moment. Somebody needs to hear from God. They need to know something from God, and perhaps you... He says, earnestly desire that you may, especially that you may prophesy, that, that God would speak through you. Are you willing today? Some of you freaked out. Are you willing today, if God has a word for somebody near to you, would you actually say it? Would you listen? Would you hear? Would you want God to do that? In my life, that's one of the, one of the best gifts that I ever receive, is when I'm going through something, I'm working through something, I'm having a random conversation with a brother or sister in Christ, and they kind of feel compelled to say something in the moment. You know what? It's exactly what I needed in that moment. It's as if God says, I've got a word for you in this moment. That's, that's, it's, not, it's not crazy. It's not chaotic. It's not uh, weird. It's, it's just speaking a word over someone in a situation. And so what Paul is going to do for the remainder of the chapter is he's going to uh, contrast the difference between prophecy and tongues, what he calls tongues, in, um, in specifically the worship gathering and how we should go about each one of them, okay? So you ready? Here we go, verse two. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their own upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse four. The one who speaks... In a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So let's talk about tongues for a little bit. 
The, the word here in the Greek is the word glossa. It's the same word that we would translate as languages. It's some kind of language. It's a heavenly or angelic language. Now, there are two forms that are mentioned in the New Testament specifically with this word as it's related to tongues. The first instance that we see is in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 at, at Pentecost, where God's, this is where Pentecostals, where they, they get the, the name from. At Pentecost, God uh, comes through the power of the people there, and they speak in languages, actual languages that other people can hear that they didn't actually know. At Pentecost, you have all sorts of nations that are coming to Jerusalem for this, this moment, and God uses it to birth the church. And so people actually hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ in their own languages. It was, it was tongues is the, what it's referred to. And then here in 1 Corinthians, Paul describes a different kind of tongue as a language that isn't known to the speaker or the hearer, but rather is an indiscernible language, some kind of heavenly language or some kind of angelic language. I love the way that Sam Storms defines it. He defines tongues this way. The gift of tongues is simply the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or one you might have learned. And then Paul tells us a few things about tongues, what they are and what we should do. First, he tells us that tongues, speaking in tongues, whatever language that is, is speaking to God. It's directed to God rather than directed to people. So when you, when God empowers you through the Holy Spirit to be able to speak in that way, it's directed towards God. It's, it's language, it's, it's speech towards God, not to other people. The second thing that he tells us is that it's, it's indiscernible. It's indecipherable to others. Nobody has a clue what you are saying. Uh, we just can't make it out. It's not in my language. I have never heard that language before, and I just don't understand it. The third thing that he tells us is that tongues builds up or encourages the individual, but it doesn't encourage others, obviously, because no one knows what you are saying. <laughs> but it is encouraging to the believer. Now, I believe that um, when you are with God, maybe seeking, praying, reaching, trying to ask for God to move, or you're just communing with God, I believe that sometimes, as we're going to see in Romans chapter 8, that you don't really have the words to say that God has kind of uh, working in your life in such a way, and, and you just don't have the words to say, and sometimes God speaks to you through a, a heavenly language that's directed towards God. I mean, it's, it's not crazy, it's not chaotic, but it's just a way to commune with God. And when you do that, it's encouraging, it, it's helpful, it's beneficial to you as, as a believer. It's, it ministers to you, it does something to you. He says it builds you up, it encourages you, but it doesn't encourage anybody else because they have no clue what you are saying. And then fourth, he says this, he says he wishes that tongues were something that everyone uh, practiced. He said, we're at verse five. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues. <laughs> now, I grew up in, ba in a Baptist church, and we never read that verse. Like, <laughs> we just bypassed the chapter altogether. Like, no one was memorizing that verse at vacation Bible school, you know? <laughs> no, but I wish that you would all, it's right there. We just completely bypassed that altogether. But Paul is saying to all of us, if you are a Christian, I want everyone to have the ability to be able to speak in tongues at some moment in time. And then here, in contrast, what he does is he, he elevates prophecy above tongues, specifically when it comes to the worship gathering, because prophecy edifies and encourages others, but tongues uh, doesn't. Now, he does mention one caveat for tongues in the public setting, that is, unless there is someone to interpret which means that there is someone and some, somehow the Holy Spirit gives them the gift, the ability to interpret a tongue that they hear, which means the Holy Spirit can manifest uh, himself through you through an interpretation just as he can through someone speaking through a tongue. And I'm not going to go down that road because we're going to handle it next week. But Paul's big issue here isn't that tongues are a bad thing. 
Some of you are going to walk away from here and be like, man, tongues are bad. They're terrible. We should like never. No, he's, tongues are a, a good thing, a beautiful thing. But when it comes to corporate worship, in the corporate worship gathering, if there's not interpretation, we need to stick with prophecy because it's just not helpful to anyone. Now we, he goes on and he says this in verse 6. He says this. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless uh, you bring, sorry, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, uh, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is, uh, that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world. None is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now, in these verses, Paul is giving us two metaphors to kind of explain his argument and get us to understand what he is saying. First, he gives us the, um, the analogy of musical instruments. He says, so imagine someone plays the flute or the harp, but doesn't actually know how to play and is not actually playing a melody, but is just strumming or playing notes, and they are meaningless because there is no melody. It's kind of like when your child goes up to the piano sits on the bench, and just starts banging on the keys. <laughs> it's just kind of noisy, right? I mean, even if you are a mom and you just absolutely adore your kid and their ability and their gift to be able to sit at the piano and have the desire, you're like, please stop that. You're like, I mean, they're just banging on the keys. It just like doesn't make sense. It just, I, there's just no way that I can actually enjoy that. I'm going to close my ears because it's intolerable. And Paul's saying that if you speak in tongues in a, in a public worship gathering, and there's not an interpretation. It's, kind of like, it's just kind of noise. It's just kind of stuff that really isn't helpful to anybody else, and so you shouldn't do it. And then he gives us another metaphor. He says uh, it's, it would also be like if you were hearing someone speak in a language that you didn't understand. Now, I'm actually traveling to Haiti this week uh, with my wife on Friday with a, a team from the Bridge Church on a mission trip, and there uh, they speak Creole. And no, I don't understand Creole. In uh, the entire week, I'm going to be pretty lost uh, and have no clue what they are saying unless there is an interpreter that is actually helping me understand the language. Um, by God's grace, I actually get the opportunity to preach in a church next Sunday in, in Haiti, and I'm pumped about that. And uh, there's going to be an interpreter that is going to be with me speaking Creole as I speak um, what I speak. And it's a little odd. I've done it before. It's a little odd because I have no clue if he's actually saying what I'm saying. You know, it's like... <laughs> Is he preaching his own sermon right here? Is he preaching what I'm saying? Because, but I'm excited. I'm encouraged to see how it goes and see what happens. I'm asking for God to, to give me a word for, for those people. I've never been there before. But Paul says it, it's kind of it's like a language that you don't understand. It's like if someone starts show, shows up and starts speaking in Portuguese you know, at your wedding, that's not going to be really helpful if you don't know it because and you probably shouldn't do that. And so he's saying, um, he's trying to give us a couple analogies for, for what it would be like. Now look with me in verse 14. He goes on and he says this. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. 
I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Verse 19, nevertheless, in church, which is the Greek word assembly, in the assembly, in the gathering, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. See, Paul gives us a little bit more of an explanation of what exactly tongues is, and he even shares a little bit of his own personal experience as it relates to the matter. So he says that speaking in tongues is something that it flows from your spirit more than it necessarily flows from your mind. What that means is that uh, when you speak in tongues, your mind isn't really at a point where it's trying to form logical, intellectual concepts, but rather your spirit is the primary catalyst for what you are saying and what you are experiencing. It's like your spirit is just speaking over you. I think there's a helpful way to understand this. Paul says this in Romans 8, verse 26. I think it's a helpful passage. He says this. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know what to pray as we ought, anybody ever been there? But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So speaking in tongues, it's, it's a deeply spiritual manifestation of God's Spirit in which uh, we speak with words and language that are heavenly and indiscernible. It's, it's saying, it's speaking, it's singing, it's praying through your spirit. And he even says that speaking, that he, which kind of caught me back when I first read this, but says that he speaks in tongues more than any of the Corinthians, you know, which is kind of a shocking statement. You think of Paul, he's the apostle, he's the guy that wrote part of the Bible for crying out loud. Surely this guy isn't into the crazy stuff. Yeah, he, he says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. Boom. You know, he's trying to say that I do this more than any one of you. I kind of understand how it's supposed to work. But he adds a qualifier. Although he speaks in tongues more than anyone else, he would rather in the public worship gathering only speak five words with his mind than 10,000 words with a tongue. You see, he's not trying to disqualify or diminish tongues. He's rather just trying to say that tongues has its proper context that it has its place and that God will use it and you should desire it and you should hope that God works in you in that way. But when it comes to the public worship gathering or the gathering of believers together in a group environment, that we should stick with prophecy unless there is an interpretation because it's just going to be chaotic. And then he says this in verse 20. This is the last part of our passage, verse 20. He says this, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by the people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Verse 22. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? You are crazy people. Verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. And he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart being disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You see, Paul wraps up this section here with an application specifically regarding non-Christians who would be present during a worship gathering. So first of all, I want to point this out. It is Paul's normal expectation that non-Christians should be present in the worship gathering. That when we gather here together, that it shouldn't be just the people that are covenant members, just the people that are Christians, just our little club. 
and all coming. No, this should be all sorts of different kinds of people with different perspectives, different religions, different ideologies, different backgrounds who are coming together to be a part of what we are, are doing. And that means as a church, we have to do things in such a way that is helpful and comprehensible to those who are non-Christians. Now, this isn't an easy needle to thread. Churches typically kind of fall on one end of the spectrum or the other. So on one side, it's the churches that are like, churches for the believers, you know, give me the meat, brother, you know, unpack the word for me, teach me, you know, let's go deep, you know, let's talk about really deep theological things. And we come together and it's just a handful of Christians and it never grows because if non-Christians show up, they're like, I have no clue what they are talking. What are those big Bible words that they are using? Propitiation. I have never heard about that. That sounds like a disease. I don't really want that, but I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so I don't think I'm ever going to come back. All right. So it's to be like, it's all about the word. It's all about this, you know. Now on the other side of the things, other side of the spectrum is like, it's all about, you know, non-Christians. So we want as many non-Christians as possible to come and to enter. So Let's not use the Bible. You know? let's, um, let's just have fun. Let's tell jokes. Let's just you know, do something that's really cool. And maybe every now and then we'll throw Jesus in there if, if we have to. You know, we'll try to backdoor him somehow. <laughs> Jesus is pretty critical you know, to this whole thing. You know? like, he has to be central. In what, you have to actually talk about Jesus and the gospel and use, use the word. All right? it's, it's, a, it's a both and. And so it's a needle that you have to thread. And Paul says that it's his expectation that you should have friends, uh, uh, family members, neighbors, perhaps, who aren't Christians, and you should bring them to church. You should bring them here just to investigate, just to check it out, to meet some people, you know, to kind of hear what's going on, to be able to see. And then perhaps, perhaps God will speak to them. Perhaps God will do something for them. Perhaps God would work in their life. We see, we see that all the time here at the bridge. I love, I love, I absolutely love our church because you bring your friends, you bring your neighbors, you bring your family members, people that didn't grow up in church, people that don't understand church, people that are not down with Jesus, people that are just trying to figure it out on, on their own, and they come and they are actually able to hear what it's about in some way, shape, or form. And so we try to do things in such a way to make it easy for people who don't know everything about church to be able to come in and to experience it. That's one of the things that I love about, about our church. And then Paul goes on. He goes on to quote, it was kind of a weird phrase in there, I don't know if you got it. He quoted uh, the prophet Isaiah in verse 21, which is a reference from Isaiah chapter 28, and it's actually kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what he means here, but he's referring to tongues as a sign to unbelievers. Um, I think he's using the term there in, in the negative sense, that it's a sign of judgment in such a way, in, in the passage in Isaiah, the nations come to God's people, the Jewish people, and aren't able to hear and understand what God is saying in Hebrew. They don't have the ability to understand in their language, and therefore the tongues, it's a sign of judgment for them. They walk, they walk away, and they aren't able to experience salvation. And I think that's kind of the same idea that Paul is saying, that it's, it's a, sign of for unbelie- a sign of judgment that people come in the, the church, and if all you're doing is speaking tongues, and they don't even have the ability to understand it, and they, they walk away, and it's really judgment for them because they don't even have the ability to understand salvation. That's the best guess I got. You know, I, I don't completely know exactly what he's saying, but I do know what he's saying. I do know what he's trying to say is that non-Christians should be present during the worship gathering, and tongues really aren't helpful to you or to non-Christians because we have no clue what you are saying unless there is an interpreter. And in the, if there is an interpretation, then it's helpful because we understand what is being said. One of our pastors, Josh, he told me the story of... Um, 
when he was a teenager, Josh didn't become a Christian until he was later, later in life. I think it was when he was in college. Well, he was a teenager, and he had a friend who was a Christian that invited him to church to this event that he wanted to go to. And so Josh was like, I'll go. And he didn't really go to church. He went, and they literally, they, they, they get into to this church, and kind of everybody starts speaking in tongues at the same time. <laughs> and Josh, he's not a Christian. He doesn't really have uh, categories for church and what's supposed to be going on, but he's like, this is kind of crazy, you know? and so he, he literally tells his friend, "I'm gone," you know, and they go, to, they go to leave, and they won't let him out the doors, <laughs> like, <laughs> and like Josh is like unbelievably weirded out. He's like, "I am," he literally, "I am never coming back here again." The, Paul's idea is like, you know, the door is open. You know, if you're new, you're welcome to leave at any point that you want to. You can come as, as you wish. And we're going to try to do our best to do things in such a way that people get to hear and understand and experience a little bit of the power of God in, in their life. That's what he's trying to go for. And so, Corinthian church, they're showing up. They're having a competition on who has the best tongue. And Paul's like, that, this is not the place for that. When we gather together as God's people, unless there is an interpretation, unless God is going to give somebody the ability to understand, we need to stick with prophecy because that is how I'm going to speak to people and help them understand where they are. And I love what he says there at the end. He says, when that happens, the secrets of their hearts will be disclosed. See, what that means is that I don't know all of your secrets, thank God, <laughs> but God does. He knows what's going on in your life right now. He knows about that hidden thing that's going on in your life right now. He knows about that secret that you may not be telling your spouse. He knows about that addiction that you may not be sharing with anyone else. He may know about that just struggle and that pain. And God, Paul says that God, he reveals those things in your life. Your secrets are disclosed and then you come and you fall before your face before God and you submit to him and to follow him as Lord. There's, there's three things that I want you to, I'm going to put on the screen for three questions that I want you to consider for yourselves. If you're married, this would be a good conversation for you and your spouse on your way home or maybe at lunch. Write them down, text them to one another. I want you to ask each other these questions. If uh, maybe a friend or a family member, roommate, somebody, this would be a good conversation to have. Here's the first question I want to ask you. Number one, do you desire the presence of God's spirit in your life? Do you desire the presence of God's Spirit in your life? Maybe you're not exactly sure what we're talking about here today. Maybe this is a little new for you. Maybe this is a little kind of out of the box for you. You're not, but answer this question. Are you someone that desires God's Spirit and His presence and His power in your life? Paul says, earnestly desire. Like, is Christianity to you like something that you just show up to once a week and kind of hear something about and kind of leave and do your own? Or is Christianity about knowing God, about getting God, do you even desire for God to show up in your life at all today? When's the last time that you prayed a prayer, God, show up in my life today. God, make your power known in my life today. Make your presence here with me in this moment. Do you desire that? And then number two, if that's true of you, number two, do you listen and wait for the presence of God's spirit? Do you, do you ever stop and listen wait, maybe go for a walk, maybe pray, maybe turn off the radio in your car, and just listen for God to speak. This, this, this happens to me all the time. I'll be doing, uh, having time on my own where I'm kind of in the scriptures or just walking or just praying, and I'm kind of just trying to just 
spend time with God, and then God, he, he speaks. He kind of reveals himself. He kind of makes himself known in a current situation or moment. In my, that, that, that happens on a regular basis. Do you even have the ability to have that happen? Maybe you need to go walk on the beach today. Maybe you just need to get up early in the morning. Maybe you need to stay up late. Maybe you just need to take a break at work and go for a walk and just ask for God and listen and wait for him to speak in your life. Because he will. And then here's the last one, number three. Do you obey the Spirit's leading in your life? So let's say you desire it, and let's say God speaks and leads. Do you obey? <laughs> That's the kicker for me. I'll be in a situation, I'll be in a moment, feel like God told me to do something. You need to say this to this person. You need to help this person with that. You need to give them this, this money. You need to do this. Yeah, but, but God, I'm, I'm busy right now. God, you know, I've got an appointment to make. God, I do spiritual stuff all the time, God. You know, so this one isn't that big of a deal. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing because I'm a... Pa- we give God excuses. If you walked out of this building and went in the parking lot today and God told you to say something to someone that was going to be helpful for them, would you say it? If God told you to empty your wallet to someone that you met this afternoon, would you do it? It's obeying the spirit of God. And I'll tell you one of the greatest gifts in my life, one of the greatest gifts in my life is when I obey the spirit of God, when he speaks. When he speaks and I just do what he tells me to do, whatever he, sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure if this is from God. Sometimes I'm like, this is definitely from God, but I'm just going to try to obey and do my best to do what he calls me to do. When I do that, that's like the, one of the best gifts that I, that I have as, as a believer because that's God wanting to work in and through me and to lead me. Do you even obey? Do you obey what God would have you to do and to say? We need to be a people we have to be a church where we listen and we wait and we desire for God's spirit to be made known here in our, in our church and then in our lives. You are God's plan A for the world. You are God's plan A for Wilmington. You are God's plan A for your neighborhood and for your workplace. There is no other strategy. You are God's strategy. You are God's You are the agents for God on mission in this city. And when he leads, when he guides, when he directs, will you obey and listen and do what he calls us to do? Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today and what you have for us here. I ask that we would be people that earnestly desire the things of the Spirit, the way that your Spirit would make himself known in our lives. And I pray that you would use us and change us and lead us and guide us and work in our lives for your mission, for your calls, for your purposes, for your plan, for what you have for us even today. And I pray that my family, the Welch family, would be a family that, that just listens and follows you and is a place where your spirit is just made known in our lives. That my little girls would grow up in a house where we listen to God, we, we wait for God, we desire God and his power and his presence to move in our lives. God, would you grant us that, I ask in Jesus' good name. Amen.